Welcome to Office Talk, a fortnightly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with leading architects about their approach to business, marketing, and communications. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, an architectural marketing expert and director of Office Dave Sharp, a marketing practice offering specialized consultancy, marketing, and PR services tailored to meet the particular needs of architects. Visit officedavesharp.com to learn more or follow the practice on Instagram at officedavesharp. Joining me on the show today is Liam Eastop from Eastop Architects, an architecture and interiors practice based in Melbourne. In this episode, Liam and I discussed his approach to project photography, from shooting the studio's first projects on a tight budget to their current process, which involves deep collaboration and planning with photographers and stylists, custom furniture pieces, and carefully planned landscaping. We looked at how the studio embraced speculative drawings, images, and renders to convey the practice's design approach and interests in the early days before they had completed built work. We spoke about the importance of setting firm creative boundaries with clients in order to create a strong and clear body of work, and why Liam prefers to work with clients who have done their research before approaching an architect. And finally, we discussed how Liam has created a clear and considered brand identity by developing gold standards for all public-facing images, text, graphic design, and drawings. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Liam Eastop from Eastop Architects. Liam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dave. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Can we just start with like a little bit of a background on the studio? What is it, six years, six, seven years that Eastop Architects has been going for at this point? Like just give us a little bit of background and and also kind of what you were doing beforehand as well, which I think is going to be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Look, um, so I guess the studio where um, based in Fitzroy, been going for about six years now and We've got work predominantly in the Mornington Peninsula and then also in the sort of inner city region. I grew up down um, the Mornington Peninsula and that's why I guess we've had the opportunity to do a lot of work down there, which has been fantastic. And prior to starting the studio, I worked at Woodmarsh, which was a larger practice. Um, predominantly didn't really work on residential projects. We, I was working on infrastructure projects, towers um, and some commercial projects as well. Following that, um, my partner and I, we um, travelled for quite a bit. Um, we went to the States and through Europe, which was just great to just have a break from architecture, really. And yeah. then coming back, we um, well, I started working for some smaller studios. So I worked for David Goss, Studio Goss, and I also worked for Don Pandolfini, um, who were both ex-Woodmarsh um, yeah. employees. Um, and that was just a nice experience to see how smaller practices operated. And they both obviously yeah. do great work but to have different approaches to running a studio. Yeah, and I guess then there was a point where I was working at Dom Studio and I had an opportunity to do a project for some friends. Um, that was Rose Street in Fitzroy. And then that project then led on to another two um, projects where we were referred um, through the builder, which was pretty fantastic. And at that point, that's when the studio sort of started. And I, I, I guess, um, so I didn't really plan to start a studio in six months or anything like that. It was more um, organic. Um, it just got to a point where the opportunity was sort of presented and yeah, the studio began. Um, I was dabbling in doing other work in the background, but yeah, that was the sort of turning point. Um, and yeah, that was about six years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had Dom on the podcast um, pretty recently, actually, his episode. And he was kind of talking about how Woodmarsh sort of influenced him a little bit, this kind of, you know, real importance of photography and investing in that and, and, and you know, being careful about kind of what you show and quite intentional about the way that the practice comes across. And when I look at, when I look at what you've done with your studio so far, I feel like there's some stuff in common there in terms of you have a bit of a similar approach to holding things back a little bit and having quite a careful approach to how the studio looks from the outside like there's like maybe a bit of a, a lineage or some influence there on um, how you sort of operate today potentially i think it's just about just being considerate of the work that you're doing um and that's probably what i learned from them um and about just following through in your own beliefs so i think just being confident is something one of the biggest things that i learned from working with roger and randall but at the time, like I wasn't really involved in any kind of media or marketing when I was at Woodmarsh. But yeah, just that sense of confidence, I think, in what you're trying to um, put forward and then just making sure that that is what's being presented to either like current clients or potential clients really um, is something that I probably took from that. Um, and yeah, I think more the photography side may have come from other like 
experience to say working with Dom. That was the first time that I've ever had engagement working with a photographer and shooting a project before um, was working with Dom at the time. Yeah, cool. And with that first project that you did coming out with your own studio, mm. uh, was it was it Rose House that you mentioned? What what was your approach there in terms of did you hit the ground running straight away, going like let's get the let's get awesome photography, let's get let's do some staging. Did you go all out on those very early projects or is that something that sort of developed to where you're at now with that stuff? We definitely went all out. Um, so that project was a pretty <laughs> tight budget and we focused all the attention of the budget into the house really. And that particular project has frameless glass. It's all about the connection between the main living space and the garden. At the time when that project was completed, there wasn't really a garden, which was a bit it was actually really difficult to shoot because of that. So we had this house that was finished. There wasn't much budget to finish the garden. So we ended up planting the garden out with the client as best as we could. And then we ended up actually adding plants into the garden because just to get some more lush greenery into the space, really. So uh, I actually rented or bought plants from Bunnings, but in theory, I rented them because I bought the plants Return them. And return them the following day after the shoot. Um, yeah. <laughs> you put them back in their pots. Yeah, yeah. And... <laughs> and it was important though. It was important because they were established enough and it just, the the, land, the garden was, wasn't developed enough to, to shoot and to actually hold the intention of what the whole project was about. Now, like years later, the garden looks amazing. It's beautiful. But at that point when you don't have any projects photographed and being held back by the garden was just really frustrating so that's that was how we approached that and then and we we also did the styling ourselves on that project um we worked with there was a furniture store around the corner radar in fitzroy they happened to be around the block i contacted them and just said can we borrow a few pieces because again the clients like they'd put all their money into that house um and they didn't have the available funds for for furniture yep. or um, yeah, a really extensive landscape package. Yeah, and and who shot the photos on that project? Oh, uh, Willem Dirk. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've kind of shot with him twice. He shot Eastbourne um, in Windsor, and uh, and then we also shoot with Roy Gardner as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's amazing. I mean, when you're in those early stages of the practice, waiting six months for the for the landscaping to mature to take the photos is so difficult, isn't it? You really want those photos as quickly as possible, but that was actually quite a good shortcut. Yeah, six months might not even do it. It's just the way we like talk about like landscape and architecture, like we want it to be like this sort of overgrown lush forest back there, but that takes a lot of time. So six months, they're still pretty, yeah, they're pretty naked still. Yeah, if the clients even had the budget to even start the landscape. Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> well, they had planted a few, but it just wasn't like, it wasn't like when you've got like, a three by three meter opening of pure glass, nothing. Um, like there needed to be something there. So even the way that we shot that project, we couldn't shoot it from internal to external very easily. Like um, now you can, but you couldn't at the time. Yeah. And at that stage, I mean, it was really great, obviously, that one of the projects that you started off with was one that you felt really happy to put out there into the world because I mentioned earlier this theme of you know, not putting everything out there or being kind of considerate about, you know, what type of work you're trying to win and stuff like that. And it's one of those obstacles of, an, of a young practice is that, you know, you kind of just need to put stuff out there that you've done because you haven't got that much that you've done, right? So mm. kind of sometimes forces you into promoting projects that maybe aren't exactly what you're looking to attract more of. But in this case, obviously this project probably was because you went all out on it. But um. Were there points in those early couple of years where those first projects were coming around where you were on the fence about certain projects going, oh, like it's cool, but I don't know if it's necessarily the image that we're trying to kind of reflect out there or the type of project we're trying to attract more of? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that definitely happens. I think it's hard starting a practice in the sense that there is this time lag between being able to shoot. Rose Street was the first project we could shoot that. From Rose Street, we collected two projects which was Eastbourne and another one Irene. Irene hasn't been photographed. It's a fantastic project. It has a beautiful facade. They were great clients and we were really happy with it and we delivered a great project but it just didn't it didn't warrant the investment of photography compared to some of the other projects that we've done and so I think yeah that's where those decisions need to take place. 
yeah, so we have iPhones full of, um, say, photos full of Irene, um, but we've never really photographed the project just because yeah. it, it doesn't feel like it's the sort of project we would want to, yeah, just be attracting all the time. It, back then, it was a fantastic project to meet people, work with people, explore detailing. But yeah, as a smaller studio, you just sort of have to take what you can because you're trying to bring projects in and, and focus. So what you photograph are the projects that you want to focus on or explore projects that are similar. Yeah, that's so that's been our time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the line that I hear all the time, probably in like 50% of my consulting meetings is, oh, it's got a couple of really nice moments or a couple of really nice details mm. as like a sort of a justification for shooting a project that's really probably the architect knows it's, it's not a real winner. It's not, it's got issues or it's not exactly the type of project that they're looking to get more of, but yeah. there's this sense of, oh, there are a couple of nice bits about it. So maybe there'll be some shots that we can use on social media or something like that. But sometimes it's just like, I get the feeling of, you know, your gut's telling you, you probably just need to move on from this project and maybe not shoot it. And it might not help you at all to have those extra few images, maybe just focus your energy on that really good project that you've got off to the side, you know, that's awesome that you want a full set of photos. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Look, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think um, it's a huge investment to photograph a project well. Like by the time you've engaged a photographer, you may or may not work with a stylist, um, depending on what the client's furniture or aesthetics around furniture are. You may or not be engaging um, with suppliers on getting and collecting furniture. Those suppliers don't want their furniture touched by anyone else but someone who's experienced in logistics and, and moving furniture around. So you're ending up paying quite a lot of money to orchestrate a, a photo shoot um, and then the time spent pre, on the shoot, post. Yeah, so mm. yeah, you've got to be selective and choose um, definitely. I think another thing that we also did at the beginning of the studio was just show potential clients the work that we were doing at the time and we would show drawing sets we would show photo like rose street for example would show them a mix of rose street would show them some drawing sets would try them take them onto a site if we had something in construction and then we also had renders of projects that either weren't going ahead or there was a lot of speculative work that we were doing at the start which we didn't necessarily do that as often anymore but that was a big thing to sort of trial just different environments or spaces or material compositions and so yeah would show these images to people just to convey the direction that we were wanting to head in um and then so they would understand and see that um was sort of another method um you're like matt goodman who i think you've had on the show as well that that was a similar approach for himself i think he didn't have work at the time when he was beginning and he just sort of showed the world his interests and uh, through rendering and drawing and then that then turned into work afterwards, um, which is, yeah, we took a sort of similar approach um, at the beginning as well. That's true. But did you, did you show that stuff publicly, like on your website, your Instagram and stuff, or was um, this just privately behind the scenes? It was um, a bit private behind the scenes um, at the beginning. And then it was also on the Instagram account. Um, yeah. At the beginning at the studio and some of those images did circulate to um yeah, the people who that we would kind of respect, I guess, online, um, which was good to sort of at least know that we're going in the right direction. Um, but now we pull those images back. They're not something that we um, lead with. We try and lead with the work that we're doing. So we would either use, yeah, current photographs of projects or, again, still drawings and taking people to site. Um, I think coming to site is really interesting um, for people. would love to talk about the coming to site element in a second, but I'm just also interested in, you know, your approach to that sort of Matt Goodman strategy and talked about that a couple of times on the podcast because it, it is something that is a, it's brought up as an idea that, you know, young studios will sort of think about, or oh, maybe maybe if I do some sort of, what, what if I sat down and I worked on some sort of maybe speculative stuff or just did some cu- couple of images or or whatever, like maybe maybe that would be a helpful use of my time. Mm. Um, and, and, it's, and it is interesting, but it's, um, it's quite a, sometimes... I think architects have a tendency to put quite a lot of time into things and they get a bit carried away. And what starts off as like, we're working on a couple of images, it ends up becoming, you know, we're working on this entire fictional project that is going to take thousands of hours and it's going to take eight months before an image is produced. And it just kind of can get a little bit out of hand really quickly. I don't know if you, did you ever, like, how did you control yourself to be like, I'm just going to do 
a couple of cool shots just to, because that's what Matt Goodman did so well. It was like just an image that was really convincing, but it was just one sort of little moment of a house that otherwise there was no other images. It felt like it was just, there's this one cool angle and I'm just going to make that. Like, it's a really just like early concept. Were you doing, were you taking sort of a similar approach or were you going a bit, a bit deeper and doing a more fully fleshed out theoretical project? Yeah. So they weren't fleshed out, so to speak. They were, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think, I'm not sure if, I think a lot of creatives probably think like this as well, but you just get ideas of things. So things pop into your mind then you're like, oh, that would be a great space or that would be a great or that's a great landscape that inspires something else um, in terms of how you might relate to that so the what I was working on were just snippets of ideas it, it, like there was a bunch of voids so I just was like oh we're going to put a wall here the floor is going to drop out below there and um, oh that's not going to create enough of a double height space so we'll tweak that a little bit and then that was it and so I found the faster workflow around generating ideas they're just ideas really they weren't supposed to be fully fledged buildings because that takes a long time Um, and that's probably what we all need to convey as an industry that to do a great building takes time and yeah so we weren't trying to achieve that I don't think that would be realistic Um, so and there were different some some were plans and it might just be a plan of a house there were some that were just void spaces there were some that were just entrance sequences or um and then others were just relationships between solid materiality and landscape or some might be about a composition of elements so i guess they're all just points of interest that could be applied in thought to other projects as well um so they're just sort of diagrams of a way that you could start a you could show something to a potential client and then say well these are these ideas i think we could maybe nest a bit of this into your potential project and that's sort of how that trust balance I guess began at the beginning yeah it's about building a bit of trust isn't it when Mm. they can't see as much of your finished work to get a real kind of sense of what they're going to get you know I mean I think if you go to a super established practice with a massive portfolio you kind of you get a sense of what to expect but it's a new studio hasn't really done much yeah yeah that's interesting I think a lot of studios really struggle with the skill set around generating those sorts of images though, but I mm. like the idea that maybe a quick plan and stuff like that can be can be another way of doing it or just like a drawing that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's really it's really really interesting. And did you find that you got a good response to that sort of stuff in the early days like you felt like it built the trust a little bit, but did they were they also kind of, you know, I guess quite fascinated by some of these different ideas and possibilities because it allows you to kind of go have a bit more freedom with some of the ideas that you're generating as well like you're not kind of limited by the realities of certain projects i mean there's probably arguments either side on whether that's a good thing but you know you've got that freedom to go i've got a cool idea and then you can kind of run that past them and see if they're into it did you find that you're able to get some cool ideas off the ground with that strategy no one necessarily said i love that can we do it yeah. on our side it didn't that never happened um, it, it didn't like literally just get no, adopted no, no, into a project yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> but what it did do is it just let them know what your interests are really. So it was it was more just about saying that these are our interests, this is our commitment to ideas as well, that yeah, we're a design-orientated studio and that we experiment and play in the background as a means to, of research in a weird way, like that's all it really is. And yeah, there's a potential that some of those ideas might flow through, yes or no. I don't know if it helped and was the thing that allowed some of those clients to come on board or or not. But it definitely helps like myself, like trying to present what the studio is about to potential clients. Yeah. Without that, I just would have, I could have spoken to them about ideas for sure. But at least there was some touch points for them to visualize and understand. And going to site, you mentioned was an interesting thing that you were doing in those early stages with potential clients. So was this like site visits to stuff that's under construction and yeah. just taking them on site and going, yeah. have a look at this sick stuff, put your hard hat on, get your high vis vest. Yeah, and yeah, come, yeah. It was literally taking people to construction sites or taking drawing packages that were marked up with notations, like working drawings really that we might be on site working with. I feel like those drawing packages allow um, clients to see what actually maybe contract admins like, like there are amendments and there are tweaks and it's not also clean, so to speak. And that's the same with going to a building site, like clients are able to understand 
that there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of information and uh, yeah, we're trying to bring it all together. Um, and some like framing is a great stage of when steel's up um, where you can actually see the skeleton. I think when it starts to get just sort of pre-finishing stage, it's probably too clean and you're kind of wanting to see more, but you can't. So yeah, I'd probably prefer to some of the, yeah, framing is a great stage to take a client um, or a potential client or anyone really um, just to see what's, what's going on and, what it's about and and then for them to see that you enjoy the process as well that's pretty cool i've i've had clients that i've worked with that have actually done that as a bit of a send out to their newsletter oh this you know next tuesday we're going to be going on a site visit you know let us know if you want to come and and it's just been an overwhelming response of people going yeah we'd bloody love to come it's so exciting to go and visit a site and there's always a sense of surprise of like oh i thought people only wanted to see things when they're finished but people are like just as keen to see stuff being built like everyone's keen so yeah yeah, it's pretty interesting yeah i think people would jump on board i think we've thought about it as a studio as well to to invite people like what you're saying um the only hesitation as to why we haven't done that is just trying to understand if we're connecting to potential new clients or not and all that time spent and you only have so much time in a day um that's kind of why we haven't actually put that word out to sort of suggest to people to come on board, but you just don't know. Going back to kind of having a bit of a vision for the studio and you sort of mentioned confidence and I'm interested in this idea of like knowing kind of what your, as the practice develops, how you think about what is our practice about? What's the vision of the work that we want to do? Because you obviously, even at the very early stages of any practice, you start having to make choices about what photographer do I go with or what what magazines do I put this project in? Like who are we about and who are we for and stuff like that and I'm just kind of curious you know in terms of your thinking and how that's developed around this sense this confident sense of like our studio is kind of about this or not about this other thing just any thoughts that you've kind of got on that because it seems to be something that you've been pretty pretty awesome at over over the years it's not easy I'd probably say because when you're looking for work or you are your ambitions might be going in one direction, but your other head is sort of saying, well, that's a huge risk. Maybe we should be pointing in the other direction and and maybe you'll find more clients there, but you want to go over here. And I guess it's just a, a creative balancing act of trying to um, stay true to yourself in terms of what your um, where your values lie. And, and then the other thing, when it comes to print and, and having work marketed, you're like, oh, we don't, really we don't have subscriptions um, like union and the local project they do send us issues which is fantastic so we do get a bit of exposure to to some print in that sense but um we'd rather we have books in the studio i don't necessarily buy all the magazines that a lot of us all get published in so i actually don't even know sometimes like it's not i don't wait every week or weekend or month to to get the next issue of something that's not it's not me and it's not really necessarily some of the people in the studio. And so, yeah, we kind of tend to, for someone like for a practice that has had their work published quite a bit, don't feel that engaged with <laughs> the publications that much. So, yeah, I don't know. How, uh, yeah, that's just the, that's the reality of it, I guess. And maybe that's because we don't have the time and our time's getting spent actually when we're at work, we're working on, the work itself um, potentially yeah go back to the first bit which was kind of talking about choice between something that sometimes could be maybe more popular or where there could be more clients versus doing something that you're like no this has more kind of creative integrity it's the kind of classic do we sell out at some point and just go to try and attract everybody or do whatever we think is going to be most popular and then kind of resisting that urge which is which is challenging and is is interesting but then we'll get to the second part which you're kind of talking about this question of there's certain things that I guess you're expected to do as a studio or expected to partake in. And then you're just like, we actually just don't really care. Like what's, um, what's actually, what makes sense for us? Like we don't care about magazines. So why do we care about being in them? For example, that sort of thing. Um, so maybe going back to that first bit, I'm interested in this issue around sometimes doing the thing that isn't popular or sometimes doing the thing that's not just going to you know, you think might get you clients, but going, you know what, it's just not right. We're just not going to do it. Could you speak to that a little bit? Because I think that's 
it's not an issue that comes up that much because most people tend to just go, oh, I think whatever I do gets the most clients. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, if I, <laughs> my approach is the best way, you know, so to say like, oh no, I recognize that there's another way of doing it, but you know, we're not doing it. You know, that's interesting. Yeah. Look, I think um, like there are lots of ways to do it, to deal with design and there's lots of different aesthetics and there's just a lot of different starting points between the hot, everyone in the design world and community so yeah like clients will get different outcomes with different people one of the biggest things is just being really happy with the work that you're doing and the reason why you started doing the work in the first place why you went to the effort of establishing a studio as opposed to working for someone else essentially that's because you want to explore your own interests that that's one of the main reasons and and learning with a team that you're around and um and sort of like i tend i'll lead the creative direction but it's about filtering and taking on board other information from people in the studio as well. So I think it's the reason why you wouldn't allow a client to totally lead the creative direction is because in the long term, you're going to end up with this sort of muddled body of work that doesn't necessarily represent you as a person or the studio. Um, And I just, yeah, I'm just not interested in that as a creative, like that wouldn't make me feel happy. Um, I also feel like the, the work that we're doing, like we're learning as we're doing the work and learning is really important for the studio, whether or not it's learning about materials, a process, spatial kind of compositions. Uh, they're all things that uh, we're learning. And if we just take on board new ideas every single time, we're kind of dumping our knowledge every time a new client comes on board and we're trying to reinvent a wheel that we're not necessarily researched in. So I tend to sort of suggest to clients that we don't want to see Pinterest boards, please don't send them to us, which sometimes is, again, scary because you're literally sort of saying to the client, I don't want to see your inspiration and your mood boards. I don't want to see what materials you're interested in. I don't want that's you. You're sort of shutting the door when you do that maneuver. But at the same time, then we can explore a project through the site. We can learn to understand the client. We can talk about things, talking verbally is much easier to talk about what's important, what's important from a material point of view, what's important from a briefing point of view, what do you want to get out of the site, etc. But if a client just says, I want this image or I want a collage of these six images, that's not a starting point, I don't think. Yeah, so that's sort of the alarm bell of like, oh God, we're going to, this is, it could be a two or three year process of something that's not for us. Yeah. And good on you to say it, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I, there's a lot of people that post lots of shit on LinkedIn about how like the problem with architects is that they're, you know, they're visionaries or they think they're visionaries and they've got their, it's their way or the highway and it's all about their idea. And there's a lot of architects that I think are very against the idea of authorship and the architect is the auteur or whatever. I feel mm. weird talking about this topic, but mm. it's, a, it's a kind of like a slightly polarizing thing, but arguably like the work that is out there that inspires us and inspires the public and makes them love architecture tends to be our work that comes from the person who doesn't want to see the Pinterest board in a lot of cases. <laughs> like yeah. I, it's the person who is developing ideas over a career, you know, and as a culture in their design practice. Yeah, it, it is that. It's an a long, it's, I guess it's a long-term look at, um, at what you're doing. And I don't know the, the number, but how many architects are in Australia or in each state? There are so many. And they all yeah, have different thousands. Yeah, thousands. And everyone has a, a different story behind them. Everyone has different interests. Everyone has different thoughts around different materials. And so a client should really come to a practice because they like what the practice does. And that might be about a material approach. It might be a formal thing that they like. It might be a sustainable approach that, that the studio is really pushing. Like so so really like it it kind of comes on to a client being a little bit more researched that they're about to spend a whole lot of money on something. Let's look around and see, yeah, like who we are and where we might fit within yeah, the design community and different practices. Yeah, exactly. And if, if they don't care about like the architect that they work with being particular or serious about that stuff, then there's like heaps of other architects that they can go work with. <laughs> they, yeah, like, don't 100%. Have, they like don't have to work with us. It's they'll not get, like, they'll you get know. the best outcome. Yeah. And that's all. Yeah. We, I say that to people as well. I'm like, look, if I think we're a great fit, I'll let you know if I don't think you're a great fit. Also know a lot of other people in the community where I can point you in the right direction. Yeah, there's yeah. heaps of other options. So yeah, like feel free to take a more particular approach. I guess the tough thing is like finding that line between obviously 
the business still needing to be successful and it's the kind of the commercial realities of kind of having the whole thing keep going yeah, definitely. <laughs> and not being too picky i suppose is always the 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 tricky the tricky part yeah we're not too picky it's just that that's what we say in a 10 and and it and maybe a client would push their agenda onto you um onto us but because we approach it in that manner they tend not to a little bit they kind of go oh, you know what let's just trust and trust comes from communication directly with someone it comes from um, how long the studio has been going for what does the previous work look like have they had their work published so that's why i just wanted to say getting your work published is really important because it it's a credibility thing like it's out there so that people can see it that you're confident enough to put it out there in the world yeah and i do love reading publications as well i wasn't shutting it down and and i read all the articles that everyone writes like it's really important so um wasn't trying to shut down the, the media industry at all um, i was just saying it's not something that like i crave to look at what the latest publication is showing um yeah that's just you could make an argument i mean there's a lot of people that criticize parts of the architecture media for just being four other architects but i would say frankly a lot of us are actually not that personally interested in it yeah <laughs> someone else is reading it it's not necessarily us if liam's not reading it if he's not dying to get every single copy in the mail every month you know mm. like waiting for the postman to arrive yeah. you know it's it's not necessarily just for architects in that case but it's interesting in this idea of getting that client that is okay to trust you to sort of lead the process and, and have the design vision for the project because uh, obviously that's kind of a lot of studios dream client not every studio like some you know a lot of studios don't care that's fine but like the ones that do where they're going for that client that is like researched and has chosen us specifically because of something that they've seen about our our work or our aesthetic or whatever um they've connected with us and our work resonates with them and they're being very you know they're very open to us kind of doing our thing and really you know our process and all of that sort of stuff i guess in terms of like how to get to that i'm interested if it, if you feel that it's i'll give three options and you can tell me which one feels like it's more important okay so so option one is liam is reaching some type of client that we're somehow not reaching option one option two is liam is saying something or showing something that we're not saying or showing so it's more about how you present and option three is neither of the first options Liam looks the same, sounds the same, is reaching similar people to us, but it's more about how you handle people when they walk in the front door and how you establish expectations with clients and how you communicate. So tell me, which option is it? Oh, I was really trying to concentrate. <laughs> we definitely wouldn't want to be looking the same. Um, so that's what I, I gathered from option three. That's so visually, visual, being kind of visually distinctive, different. Um, we're not trying to be things. different, um, but I, I just think, uh, yeah, just just distinctive, like of your, like looking like yourself, like having a having a clear kind of identity aesthetically. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everyone, the identity um, should come from the work. So um, yeah, we worked with a designer, yeah, John Wilson. Um, he was fantastic. He's a good friend of ours or mine. But he works in a very bigger studio and he was just fortunate enough to help us and do something extra on the side. He doesn't really do that very often. But I guess we worked together in establishing like what our values were for the studio at the beginning. So that, uh, it was, I guess, like a bit of a brand strategy and um, like he created uh, an identity around us, not necessarily here's an identity, here's an architecture studio, merge the two together and now you're a brand. It was more about him learning about what our interests were and about helping to package something that we felt fitted. So like I literally just put out work that I'm proud of um, and that the studio feels that they're proud of. And if it doesn't go through that tick, we don't put it out there. Um, and, and then that filters down from images, text, project types, just everything has to go through the filter. Um, and so I don't really necessarily know what, that means it's not like a prescription. We don't have like, oh, this, it all needs to look like this. Um, but we're always working on content um, and talking about the way we're representing our drawings. And, and that every touch, well, one thing to mention is that every touch point that anyone ever sees is, is you putting yourself out there. So every, whether or not it's a drawing, documentation, package, an article, every single point that something leaves the office. Podcast. Yeah. It needs to be like tick. Yeah, Don Pandolfini. He, I haven't listened to the podcast, um, oh. but he used to he used to live by a gold standard. And so when we 
when something was produced in the studio that was what we all thought, well, that was a really great town planning package or those photographs work came out really well working with a particular photographer. You would sort of like be like, it's just sort of like, oh, gold standard, like it was this sort of tick. And so you just have, they, they would be your benchmarks in theory. And that's about putting out the best work in all facets because you never know where that work's going to go. So there's no point rushing. Like we won't rush anything out the door just to get a quick email out of something. So I haven't, I don't, I haven't really answered the three questions. No, you did. Um, you went with option yeah. two. <laughs> yeah. I think often the first thing of, when you're trying to solve the problem of like, how do I get that better client? The, the, the imagination always jumps to, I must not be reaching them there somewhere else, you know? Mm. So where do I go? What channel do I need to be on? Or like, where do I, like, what, what are other people doing? But, um, but, but really it's just kind of like pretty bread and butter stuff, like getting your stuff published and posting on Instagram, right? Like there's no, you're not like part of any like secret, secret society of like architecture clients anywhere. No, no, there's no secret society. Um, I think for example, at the moment, the industry is rather quiet off the back of, you could call it a boom in a sense. Yeah. So as a resident, predominantly residential practice, like we're looking to do other work in in other sectors. So we're sort of trying to diversify a little bit and take on some of that experience that I've had in the past. But our residential work, we're lucky to have enough work coming through uh, from existing clients, which is really good. But it does feel slightly quiet. And so the first thing, you start panicking a little bit. You're like, oh, well, where's where's the new client coming from? Like, where are they? Yeah, where are they? Which is what you were sort of saying before. Or do we start pushing our marketing when the first client calls, do you drop fees to try and win the job? Like there are all these these things that go into your head, and I think the lot like you just need to be level headed. So if you drop fees, that's just a terrible idea. Um, and yeah, we did do a proposal recently, and the the client was like, "Oh, we saw slightly lower fees in these stages of the project," and I know that we're really efficient and we don't our fees are accurate to the work that we do. And I was like, "Well, if they're if you've got lower fees, that's because they're obviously in a panic and they're trying to just win any job that they can and they'll take them all on board and, and they'll just bottom out in a year of burnout and, and, and not being able to resource them accordingly and quality will drop. So I think it's mm-hmm. just about keeping um, – try I'm trying to keep level-headed and so, yeah, just going, you know what, the clients will come and just focus on the opportunities that you have and so that's about looking inward, so looking at – the work that you've got, make that the best work that you've got. Go to all your existing clients that you've had. Just reach out to them, ask them what they've been up to. Just connect with people. Like use what you have, not what you want. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I agree totally. I absolutely agree with you. It's the place to start short term, that sort of stuff, because you're dealing with existing audiences and stuff that you've kind of already got. The, the turnaround time, if anything is going to work, if you do get lucky with it, it's going to be short. Whereas like yeah. trying to go out and have first impressions with brand new people that have never seen you before out there in the world, out in the wild, like mm. that takes a bloody long time, you know? Yeah, it could be months. And it's just like, yeah. yeah, months, years maybe. Yeah. No, it's a, it's, it's, it's a really, really good point. It's, I'm interested actually just quickly in touching on the branding stuff because in terms of, I think that's interesting because you mentioned when we spoke a couple of weeks ago that your background was actually in graphic design, which I was quite surprised by. So, mm. so you're a you're a graphic designer turned architect. That explains a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I studied graphic design or a bachelor of design at Monash prior to doing architecture, and I think I oh I did viscom at, at high school. I've always been um, involved in design and and fine art. And my mum was a painter, and my dad would do a lot of photography. Cool. And I sort of found myself doing branding and posters for different people probably from about 16 to my mid-20s. I would dabble in doing design work for people. And, yeah, that's where I kind of – it all began. And then I met my partner studying design as well. And so she has continued working in that industry, um, not as a graphic designer but more in account management. And I guess what that's just – Ben, is that I've been exposed to doing design work. I've been exposed to the the process of doing campaigns for different clients. Like I've seen the back end of a design studio, like a graphic design studio. So I've seen architecture studios and I've seen graphic design studios just through my partner. Um, so I know that the amount of work that goes into a successful brand and it's immense. Like the successful 
ice cream shops that you might see in Melbourne or particular restaurants or architecture offices or galleries. Yeah. Like I've said, I've been unfortunate enough to see some really good campaign and brand work done, um, the back end of it. And yeah, the amount of work, it's similar to it, an architecture project, the amount of stages that go on to actually achieve the final outcome and all the testing and yeah, just process behind it and thought it's, yeah, it's crazy. And so I guess it's there for a reason because those brands become successful because of that investment. And um, yes, I appreciate it and I can see why it's important and why that communication is important. I understand it. It doesn't mean that's what we, we're not like a studio that's heavy, heavy on brand. Um, There are other studios that are very heavy on brand. We're not, but I'm aware of what brand means. And so I think that means that, yeah, it's about just being careful about how we portray ourselves. That's probably the most important thing that I hold on to from all that kind of experience and exposure. It's just about making sure it's aligned and, yeah, don't try and push stuff out that's not true not true to the yeah. work that you want to be doing or true to yourself um, or true to the work that you've done. Um, that's really important um, because I think the other concern about establishing such a strong brand, if it doesn't align to your values and who you are, you'll end up with this expensive brand that will look fantastic, potentially gain a lot of interest, but it will fizzle out in like three years mm. because it'll... Mm. It'll probably collect all this work. It'll be like it'll be buzz, 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 and then all of a sudden, that person will look back and be like, "Well, I don't actually fit this this brand that's been created around me," and and it's sort of the, the alignment's off. And I think, yes, so I guess being able to say, "Oh, that could happen," is my understanding that yeah, like brands are really strong and important in the way they get produced can have great impact. Yeah, and in your process, you're saying not not so kind of heavily branded. I'm trying to think like without any specific studios, but what do what do you mean when you think about studios that are really heavily branded, where where the branding is kind of trying to be the star of the show, I suppose, rather than the the work. You can see when studios reinvent themselves sometimes, um, and now with Instagram, you can see that, and also try not to get spend too much time on Instagram. No, but I've, I have noticed and other people would notice is when studios try and realign themselves and when that happens, you can see a shift in all the media content that they might be around a lot more than, that they, than they were. So there's obviously someone helping push and make the right phone calls and talk to people. And um, yeah, and that takes a lot of time. Like I've experienced dealing with writers and editors and stuff it does take time yeah and yeah and and i just hope that when some of that rebranding occurs that they're not um, rebranding to mirror a brand identity created by someone else that they're actually rebranding in what they want to achieve and so i think it's it's um yeah long as that occurs it's i don't see a problem with it but yeah that's it could be a risk when you're Mm. just trying to create stuff or content for um yeah, like the online market or other people all the time. If you're looking yeah, outward, yeah. not inward, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah, and that sort of original sort of process that you went through with John and you're lucky to be surrounded by some pretty amazing people. You've got John at Ongarado, your your partner works at Maud. I mean, awesome. And and you've got the you've got the background um, as well. So it's like amazing links and associations there. But you mentioned that you did that sort of brand definition and identity kind of development process at the beginning. Is that something different Different practitioners and designers will have different different outcomes or different ways that they approach that process? Sometimes it's more just like, okay, here's, here's, your, here's your logo, here's your color palette, here's your fonts. Other people are doing something that's more verbal, more written. Like here is kind of like a, a framework of different terms and words that sort of represent the brand. And other people are a bit more kind of like mood boardy in terms of like here's reference material in terms of imagery and, and that sort of stuff. Like what was your sort of processor or the part of it that you kind of felt helpful even at that earlier stage um, that has served you well over the last sort of years that the studio has been going and I'm sure you've updated it and sort of tweaked it over time but what, what did that process kind of look like? I guess it's been ongoing I guess is the first thing to probably say that um, it hasn't necessarily stopped or started and stopped it's been um, 
like we're redoing the website. We've been, I feel like we've been redoing the website since the website went up. Like since the first year, we've been doing the website. And so I guess it's just that the process isn't binary. Um, and yeah, so the discussion working with a friend makes it a lot easier because they understand you. And, and when they're very good at what they do, they understand how to separate the personal and, and sort of their direction. Yeah, so I guess it's been informal. So that's just been lucky. That's a, that's a different relationship to what other people might find. But I would probably just say that it's, yeah, it's an ongoing checking in. And it's, it wasn't that we received some package five and a half years ago or six years ago. And that's been that. Yeah, we've kind of just been adding to it over mm. time. So the website, when it first began, was just a, a complete landing page of just slideshow. Um, and we were just really careful of what went up. And again, there was probably only like eight images or something. Yeah. It wasn't, there wasn't 24 or 50 images. It was just eight good ones and that's it. And, and it's just as a, a number. And then I think the website changed to what it is now and it's changing again. Um, we're just sort of modifying things in the background. And that's the same with like identity tweaks. Like we don't do an EDM, but we sort of are working on an EDM template. But yeah, it's just, it's been ongoing. And when things work, we say it's working. When we say things aren't working, we say, hey, this isn't working. But also like you're trying to really have a controlled kind of quite minimal sort of output, right? Like it's low numbers of images, very simple streamlined website, low mm. numbers of social media posts, six years in carefully adding an EDM. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very controlled, uh, which is great. And that's the, that's the graphic designer side because I think it's about everything has to be at a really, really high level of excellence that, that comes out of the studio. So, mm. you know, do it slowly, do a bit less of it, but do it really, really, really well is kind of the, the sort of the ethos. But that's what it, that's what it looks like. It's, it's tough to, similar to that conversation earlier where we were talking about being selective with work and being selective with your output is also tough because it's like, God, sometimes we'd love to have a bit more output, <laughs> you oh. know, but, but the, and the temptation is there to just go like, oh, let's just, throw something together, but it's really, really hard once you've, you know, got, got set the standard so high. Yeah. Look, it, I think it takes time. That's what we've realized. Like even just running an Instagram account is just. <laughs> well, that one post a month really gets you, hey? Yeah, like, yeah it does. <laughs> and, and like literally we, we pay for later, which is that scheduling service. Um, and we were like had posts lined up and, and you're getting people in the studio to do so you're trying, you're trying to pull content together. And so once you start, so what I've learned is you try and pull content together and then you look at it and in a sense, you don't know how to then put it out there because it needs to go through another filter. You can't just pull content and publish. That's what I've learned and it frustrates me. But in What do you mean? Uh, because you, everyone, you want like a level of consistency that that you're not just posting what then you're not just looking at the one image you're trying to look back at all the other content that's say in an instagram feed just depends on how you're doing it like what you're um, but we would like look at our entire feed of content does it fit does it match is it is that worthy is it not worthy does that is that represent the clients we want to attract or not attract like there's all these questions just yeah i find it really challenging (laughs) (laughs) yeah no definitely that that is challenging I'd begin to talk about photography maybe a little bit mm. as well. I know we're we're going quite on the visual side, but yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm feeling drawn to it in, in in this chat because I think I think like I love seeing how this less is more approach works across these different areas that people are often you know working through. Yeah, I'm interested just in your thoughts on that in terms of how you go about it because I know that you, as you mentioned earlier, you you're kind of you're taking a role, you're going out to Bunnings, you're getting your plants, you're returning them the next day, which is hilarious. But, you know, really having an input into like the garden, but also like furniture and objects and being quite methodical and careful about that. Yeah, just 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 interested in your thoughts on, and you know, photography and, and sort of the process of shooting itself and how you, how you go about it. Yeah, yeah. I guess you need to shoot your work is one thing. I can't remember who told me that, but that was just like you need to shoot your work like you can't not you have so we've had projects that have been bought and sold and like the idea of like asking the the new buyer or can we shoot that that's not going to happen so i think just shooting when you have the opportunity to shoot the projects you want to shoot is really important 
like the reason why we've shot with Rory so many times is Rory's great at shooting space. So he can shoot environments. He shoots the space. He doesn't shoot the object. And that's why, um, yeah, we've worked with Rory so many times. It's not because of the color grading and that like he happens to um, have shot with a lot of like really fantastic architects that that's not the reason it's just because yeah, he's good at shooting space. Mm. And so if there was another photographer, we make, we could explore shooting with them because of on those terms, but that's why we have worked with Rory in the past so many times. The, yeah, you need to shoot them because it's your only other real, it's the easiest opportunity to put the good work or the work that you want to put out there in front of people. I think, working with the right people around you. So like we've worked with Jess Kneebone, um, she's a stylist, and we don't just say, hey, Jess, here's this house, see you in three months or something or two months or two weeks or something. Yeah, like we'll sit down, we'll talk about the project. Like it's it's another opportunity to explore the project. So I actually really like shooting houses when we've – because you, you get to learn and understand what you've done again. It's kind of like you're looking through it again and – as another lens and you get to decide maybe what's important and what's not important. We don't do shot lists. Um, so we don't, we don't shoot a project on our iPhone and say to a photographer, take these 10 photos really well. We don't do that. So I I work with Rory and Jess and talk about what the project's about. And then we try and allow them to explore or Rory to explore um, the project because in theory, like you're engaging a good photographer to shoot, the project um, and the space, you're not, so why, why tell them to, what to do? Um, so I try not to, um, unless there's something absolutely that I feel like he's, he's missed and then I'll try and point him in a direction, but it's, I don't think that's up to me. And then I think the furniture aspect that we haven't went as a studio, like we're comfortable designing furniture, interior, architectural elements, yeah, facades. We, we do a lot of the landscape design ourselves as well don't kind of just fairly holistic and and I feel like that's the reason why some of the work that we've done has been good work and then some of the work yeah. uh, maybe has been less successful it's when we get to ba- we get to balance everything and it, it gets to a point where it, all that different elements are working off each other like we need soft landscape to to rub up against yeah more refined or harder materials like without that soft landscape it would be too harsh and I think sometimes we lose probably potential clients because sometimes the work might seem too harsh um, and, and it doesn't even look that harsh, but that's how I feel. And, and I might be wrong analysis. No, I think that's, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah so, so I, I think we've, we've controlled some of those elements and then, yeah, like we've designed furniture pieces, like the Chenia shoot, we designed a dining table that was like inspired by Donald Judd. And that was because we felt like we needed a furniture piece in the space that had a, a level of reflectivity in there to kind of, the garden back into the house and so we just used the furniture element to do that we had pivoting doors um, that had similar materials throughout that would also have that same dialogue but that was the reason why we fabricated the table for the shoot so and that was a nice opportunity to be able to make a table for a shoot three days beforehand Um, and that was as a builder that was that was their house and um, yeah he was like yeah I'll do it I'll just make it so then the table was there in three days. So so that's happened. We've done that with furniture, like bench seating and stools and things if we have. Um, and then we don't over-furnish. And maybe we might explore putting less furniture in in future shoots, like maybe just go a bit more, yeah, nude, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great, man. It's um, It's interesting, yeah, doing like custom sort of pieces and tables and stuff just for the shoot. That's awesome. Obviously, then... In some cases, the client kind of keeps it, or in that case, they built it themselves. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, they've kept the table at that particular client, and then I paid for the bench seat and stools and (laughs) individual seats. But we haven't taken them back, so they're they're being used. um, Yeah, but we paid. The client just got them for free, basically. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's I mean, it's a huge amount of upfront time and cost and investment, and I think. I speak to some clients like I was having a meeting with an architect yesterday who was looking ahead at their me- at their media plan for the next six months and they were penciling in uh, seven shoots yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you just, 
you just can't, you know, and maybe like three of them were ones they felt were awesome and then there was four, there was like another two kind of like pretty good ones and there was mm. two that were like so-and-so, like so-so with like a couple of cool angles or whatever. And yeah. But if you if you try and do seven shoots in six months and you try and split your budget up between all of those different projects, like you just, you're not going to be able to do that level of Michelin star shit on that really good one, <laughs> you know, that um, with the photography and the styling and build the furniture and put in the plants and the time and the meetings and like having conversations beforehand and scouting it out and all that sort of stuff. You just can't do that at that level of volume as a small practice. Hey, you just have yeah. to choose. As a small uh, practice, that doesn't seem feasible at all. Um, yeah. yeah, like we're, we've got four projects that we need to shoot or are contemplating shooting at the moment and like we're not going to shoot all four. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. And that's just because, yeah, you need a way. Yeah, if, if they're seven amazing projects or they're seven of the projects that you just think are the best things you've ever done, then you need to shoot them all. But the moment you're like, oh, yeah, I think we could maybe drop that one. You got to drop it. I reckon that's it. If the thought comes up, that's it. Listen to your gut. Your gut's yeah, saying yeah. it's not great. It's screaming out. It's not that great. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you, and you're just like, oh, but it's got good bits. Yeah, you know it. You know it. Yeah, definitely. Like we've done lots of work that hasn't been shot. Um, and similar comments that I was mentioning about that project earlier, like they're all really good projects and we're really happy with them and the clients are happy. Everyone's happy. But yeah. Yeah, you just can't do it all. You know, working with Rory, working with Jess, we talk about these sorts of people quite often on the podcast, but I get the sense that these collaborations with these these extremely creative photographers, stylists and stuff like that, who in themselves have massive audiences, I personally rely on photographers that I follow on Instagram to even like, I, I, don't, I don't get, you know, maybe awards programs show me new practices occasionally magazines mm. probably not so much i'm kind of like you i i sort of pay as much attention to them as i need to to do my job but yeah. beyond that i'm not really studying them that closely yeah i think photographers and the the people that they work with the really high quality ones and when they're tagging them like that's where i find architects and stuff like that and interior designers and so i think there's potentially a real marketing benefit of the collaborators you choose isn't it or it really it sort of puts you in this puts you in the right sort of circle of practices that, that that work with them if you if you make the right choices hey or it's just really beneficial whoever you i guess if you work with somebody who you know like a rory or a jess yeah yeah definitely but you just need to do it for the right reasons you just need to be aligned that the photographer wants to work with you as well and believes in the project if they don't believe in it they're not going to go pushing it either or um, yeah. or be excited by it and want to get it published or circulated as well so I'd probably say, yeah, like you've got to look beyond just, yeah, like the, the, those people, like those photographers or stylists. You just need, you should be looking for alignment first. And then um, out of the ones that you're aligned to, we'll talk to them all and then pick the one that you feel is best suited to you. Because in, then, in, they, then they will promote your work mm. in the best um, way possible to people that are also, that they're aligned to and, and et cetera. Like it's about alignment. So, like if you're, into really like I don't know I think that makes sense I think like so you wouldn't you don't just choose someone because yeah they're like the it thing at the moment yeah because all of a sudden they're going to you need to be working with someone for a long time so like we don't want to be reshooting all of our projects again so you're sort of like you're also choosing to to work with someone for multiple shoots not just the one so shoot so you're in the sort of school of thought that it's important to be super consistent with the photographer in terms of like across the portfolio, the look and feel that that kind of creates. I think so. Yeah. 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 To the point where you would, you're thinking that if you were to switch, it would probably force you to possibly reshoot some things. That's, yeah. I mean, that's potentially then like what I was saying before, like the idea of reshooting a house that it's just it's, not feasible. It's yeah. If it's a different client or like if, if the client, no longer lives there for whatever reason, then you can't, the chances of you getting back in there and doing what you did previously is not going to happen. So, um, yeah. So if you choose a photographer that you're aligned to, then it's not an issue. You'll pick that person for the right reason and you could continue shooting with them again. And then if that photographer no longer shoots, you'll be able to find another photographer that you're aligned to and they'll probably maybe be of similar similar ideas and values and so so maybe it won't be so jarring but if you're just 
choosing someone because you think they're going to get you the most publicity for the next six months or the or for yeah. that particular project it's not going to long term that's not a great idea i don't think yeah yeah absolutely i think there's something about when i when i meet studios that are really kind of careful and invest heavily in like creating their assets and their visuals and their projects really methodically and a really really high level I've, i i i get get the sense of part of the reason that it has such an impact is that on the one hand, we're, we're creative businesses and we're selling design services and the clients that we're trying to appeal to are people that value that and are investing in that. And they're the people that are willing to spend, you know, a hundred thousand bucks on architecture fees because they yeah. want things to be beautifully designed and carefully selected and done in a really considered way. Yeah. If we role model that kind of behavior or we sort of show that in the things that we put out into the world, it's that alignment, right? Like, if if we if we're happy to do like the equivalent of going to Bunnings and buying a kitchen, you know, or or like whatever, if that's like our standard we set for our own kind of brand and our business, it's like how are we trying to appeal to that client that like wants things completely bespoke and beautifully designed? You know, I don't know. That's just my my theory about kind of how they how sometimes if you if you sort of skip or, or or don't put the time and the energy and the resources into the way that your brand presents. And this is something I learned the hard way because I've been through the process. I've, I've gone from doing it the, the shit DIY way to doing it the really good professional way. Yeah. And it's great to get that sense of alignment of going like, this is what I'm trying to tell clients. These are the clients I'm trying to attract. I'm now eating my own dog food. I'm doing the same thing. Like I'm actually aligning with my own values. I believe in design, all that sort of stuff. Do, do you think there's some truth in that just in terms of that that's part of the reason that it that all of this stuff is effective or, or, or it aligns you with the right type of clients unfortunately yes yeah. <laughs> what do you yeah. mean unfortunately <laughs> yeah because, unfortunately because um, it's so much work right so 100 percent, what you've said is correct but what i meant by unfortunately is it's a challenge in architecture to be afforded the time to play um sometimes mm. like architecture and building is very expensive so it's a very um well, that's a totally different topic we could go into, but that's just the world of architecture and design. It is, yeah, like in a sense, it's extremely expensive and um, sometimes you might see details or things you want to explore and you don't actually have, you can't explore them mm. because the budget might not be there or yes, you might need to go to Bunnings or get the kit, the, the, the dog food that you just mentioned before. Um, yeah, that, like that's also a bit of the reality as well so yeah you're just weighing all that stuff up but yeah people perceive things in a particular way and yeah that that's so important like it's so important in about how like winning clients fee negotiation that it, it goes it hits on all the marks yeah how much they trust you they don't trust you yeah that's if you're trying to convince someone to spend a lot of money on something and you don't want to do the same thing for whatever reason yeah they need to trust you for those right reasons. Yeah, yeah. Kind of comes yeah. back to what you're saying about that sort of inward focus or starting with that sort of inward focus. Yeah. Get your own shit in order. <laughs> you yeah, know? you do. Yeah, you do. Or you, if you're in that space where you're like, okay, I have to, I'm, I've got to do something. We've got, to, we've got to work on some things. Don't just go straight to the outside world and be like, all right, guys, I'm here. <laughs> Come work with me. It's no, use that time and that whatever you've got available to just get things in order internally. First. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's uh, in no means does it, do we have everything in order? Like we're constantly working on bringing things back and making sure that we're like, yeah, like we're constantly reassessing. I'm sure everyone else does as well. But like we do do that. And, and then all of a sudden you might feel like the balance is out of whack for whatever reason. And you have to ask yourself, why does it feel this way? And yeah, like at the moment, I guess like when you've been in practice for six years now, like things have changed from the first day. Like there's, there's we've got more staff, there's people, there's new office space, like all these things happen and you're dealing with more people constantly. So it's just, a, it's different. And then again, as scales change, they change again. Yeah. So you need to kind of recheck in throughout the process to make sure that you're still. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You're still aligned to what you believe in. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I, the studios that I have on the on the podcast that I feel like have built very strong brands, are very cohesive and considered brands. I mean, whether it's partially it's their graphic design, it's their it's their language, it's their project photography, and just all of it feeling extremely considered and cohesive. They they all 
generally do not rest on their laurels, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, there isn't this sense of like, oh, yeah, it's done. We all, we sorted it out in the first 12 months and then <laughs> we've just been coasting ever since. It, yeah. is a, it is a constant process. They tend to be the studios that always tell me that they're working on the website. It's, it's, a, it's a long-term project. It, it's one of those really interesting things, but I think it is a process of constant con- like re-evaluation and updating it and reassessing it. And, and not every month you're going to have the opportunity to do that because some months you're just absolutely flat out just going crazy on your projects and stuff like that. But then yeah. there's other times either throughout the year or in the broader cycle where it does get a bit more quiet. And that's the time where it's you know, from the marketing guy's perspective, it's a beautiful thing. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I love to yeah. see a little bit of a quiet time because I love hearing that studios are sort of going, yeah, we're looking, we're looking at the brand, we're looking at the messaging, we're looking at the website, we're going to do something different with the photography. I'm just like, ah, oh, I love it. It's great yeah. to hear it. Yeah, um, but I anyway, imagine that. <laughs> Liam, we've got to finish up. You're actually it's been so generous with your time. You're doing this from your parents' place on holiday in Queensland. Um, so I, I really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast, mate. And yeah, thank you so much. And we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. That was my conversation with Liam Eastop from Eastop Architects. If you'd like to learn more about Eastop Architects, you can visit eastop.com.au or follow them on Instagram at eastop underscore architects. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.